thank you all for uh, letting me be here. We love Ben and Anna. We especially like Elijah. And uh, Elijah is my favorite prophet and uh, my favorite little new friend. So uh, I'm going to be reading a passage from 1 Kings tonight. And if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. If you don't, uh, I think it's printed in your uh, in your bulletin there. It's in the insert. And I'm going to read a little bit more than what is there. I'm going to start at an earlier part. It's only a few verses ahead. But just kind of listen and, and follow along as, uh, as we go. Now hear uh, God's Word. I'm going to read from verse 7. After a while, the brook dried, and because there was no rain in the land, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, uh, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar uh, and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty. Until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, and neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke. Now here's the passage. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the 
the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and it is true. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for these words from your great prophet and from uh, your scripture. And I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we might hear, and uh, fill us with uh, the encouragement that we so desperately need, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. I teach a theology class on Monday night to uh, anybody that wants to come, and we've had uh, we've had great classes over the years, uh, people that want to study theology, and uh, sometimes there's lots of people in the class. Uh, last semester, I think we had 40, 40 some people in our theology class. Many of them don't go to our church, they just want to learn theology. Um, and I always tell the students in the class that theology is all about vocabulary. You see, you need a very rich and varied vocabulary, descriptive words uh, that you can take some of the difficult concepts that you find in the Bible and, and give them a name, give them a word uh, that will help you. One of these words uh, and is uh, the word inscrutable. Don't you like that? I should charge you for that word. It's so good. Inscrutable. When you read a passage like this that we've just read, you come up against this idea of inscrutability, that God is inscrutable. And what this means, the meaning of this word, is that God can be very difficult, if not impossible, to understand. That He is beyond our comprehension. You can apprehend God. In other words, you can come up to Him and you can get your, your, you know, you can give Him a hug. But you can never get your arms all the way around Him. You can't fully comprehend Him. No one knows God that way. Well, I shouldn't say no one. Jesus knew God that way. He knew His Father that way. But no human being has ever been able to know God comprehensively. We only apprehend Him. And so there's a lot of mystery. When you read your Bible, this is just one passage uh, of dozens, perhaps, where God is amazingly inscrutable, very difficult to understand. I mean, He sends Elijah to King Ahab and tells Elijah, go tell Ahab there's going to be no rain as a judgment on you. No rain for three years. And so Elijah goes, and what? Lo and behold, a drought. And sure enough, so, but everything's okay. Elijah gets to go into uh, this, the Kareth Ravine, and there's water there, and he gets fed by ravens. You all, many of you know the story, and there's water for him, but then eventually the brook dries up. And the reader's sitting here looking, well, what is going on? God is inscrutable. He's hard to understand. First he sends a drought, then he provides for his prophet, now he's not providing for his prophet. Then he tells Elijah, leave Kareth Ravine, now there's no water, and go, and where I'm going to send you is to Zarephath. Well, Zarephath was the heart of enemy territory. It was Baal country. It was where the people worshipped Baal, and Elijah was in a contest against Baal. The gods were going to fight. That comes later, and I don't have enough time. Maybe in, next time. Okay, next time. But God is inscrutable, and so sends him to this widow woman, and the widow woman is starving to death. And Elijah gets her to 
trust him and make him a cake of bread. And he says, now, because you've trusted me, the bread's not going to run out and the oil won't run out. You're going to have it. And they did. And then everything's going along fine. And God becomes mysterious and inscrutable again. The little boy dies. The wife's, uh, the uh, mother's child dies. God is difficult sometimes. Let me tell you something. Ben and I are professional holy people. We're professional holy people. We have been to school. We have degree. We're smart. We're, we're so smart, our heads are about ready to explode. Doesn't your head feel like it's going to explode? We, I mean, and I have to tell you, I'm ashamed to say it. I don't understand God. I wish I did. I understand certain things about him, but there's a lot of things I don't understand. There's many times when I have prayed, God, have you looked at a calendar? Do you know what day it is? <laughs> you know, these bills have to be paid. Look at my health. I, you know, I'm not feeling too good. What's up with that? You know, you go on and on. There's these inscrutable. It's a helpful word. And here it is. We see that God is so inscrutable. What we find out in this passage and in many others, and y'all are going to learn this as you go through Romans as well, that the righteous, righteous people suffer right alongside the wicked. And, And it's often in those times of suffering when God becomes very confusing. He doesn't make a lot of sense. And I want to give you, I want to give you three things that I think will help you uh, negotiate those difficult waters that they've been helpful to me and uh, perhaps they'll help you because no matter how well you know him you're going to hit times in your life if you haven't already you will but I bet most of you have you're going to hit times in your life when you just look up and you say what? really? I don't get you what are you doing? please Answer my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. Are you even there? And it's at those times you need these three things. Listen carefully. You're going to need to know, do you have have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Uh, do do, Do you have the right questions? Are you asking the right questions? So do you have a relationship with Him? Are you asking the right questions? And, and finally, uh, do you have a God who will listen? Do you have a God who will listen? So those three things. Uh, do you have a relationship with him? Are you asking the right questions? And finally, do you have a God who's, who will listen? Let's, let's go and do this and see if it will help you. Uh, do you have the right relationship? Look, if you can, at, at this verse 18. This woman asks uh, Elijah, she says, What do you have against me. Have you come here to remind me of my sin? If my child has died, have you come to remind me of my sin? Her question is about her sin. She's actually, think about this, she's actually uh, understands that her relationship with God is conditioned by her sin, affected by her sin. That her relationship to God is not independent from this thing we call sin. 
And I'll tell you, sin has fallen on hard times in America, hasn't it? People don't even like to talk about sin. Please don't talk to me about my sin. But the reality is, if you're human, if you're just a human being, in the dark and private and quiet times when nobody's around, there's no noise, no iPod, no, no screen time, no nothing, you're just quiet and you're sitting there, every human being is wondering how, whatever, if there's a God out there, whatever he, she, or it is, I know there's something wrong here. And every human being is trying to make things right with whatever they believe that God is, he, she, or it. Yes? Everybody. Some people think killing people and chopping their heads off is the way to get right with God. How do you like that? And then you come to the United States and, you know, we're in a moral meritocracy where, you know, the better person you are, the closer you are to God. So this woman understood that her relationship with God was in question. And uh, she, she tells us that by, if, if you kind of read between, I don't like to read between the lines, but just think about what she's saying. What have you against me? You've come to bring this sin to remembrance. It's almost as if she's saying, you know, haven't I given enough to you? I gave you my last cake of bread. I've played my part now my son is dead? I mean, what, what is going on? Her relationship, listen to this. Her relationship was not the relationship that you and I would like to have with, uh, say, a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or a parent or even a child someday if you have a ch a children. You wouldn't want that kind of a relationship. Her relationship was one of performance. In other words, I've done my bit. Can't you do your bit? A, bit, a relationship of performance. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the pastors in our uh, denomination is famous for saying that there's only two religions in the world. There aren't thousands of religions. There's only two. One is the religion of performance. And sadly... Lots of Protestantism, Catholicism. I was raised in the Eastern Orthodox Church. My wife was raised Roman Catholic. Now we're Presbyterians. God help us. But I can tell you, everywhere that I've been, everybody believes they're saved by merit. Everyone. I've done my bit. So God owes me. And it's only... Rarely that you hear people actually say, no, God doesn't owe us anything. God is gracious to us. God is gracious to us. And this woman was basing her relationship with God on her performance. What do you have against me? Performance versus relationship. Then do you have the right questions? Look what she asks. Have you come to bring my sins to remembrance and cause my child to die. I mean, it's not a bad question. She actually is better than most of us. She recognizes that sin brings death. That sin is actually something that will cause death. So she confesses her sin and she even acknowledges that God had a right to take it. She didn't like it. But she asks the right questions. You know, all of us 
I think every one of us has a functional, uh, what we could call a functional idolatry. And that functional idolatry is whatever it is that you believe makes you right with God. Now, I, I don't know all of you well enough uh, to know which, which of you have what idols in your life. But if there is anything in your life that you think makes you right with God, other than Jesus Christ, that thing is your idol. That thing is your God. It's your functional uh, God. And for this woman, from the story and from the ancient Near East, the way we understand the ancient Near East, the thing that gave this woman life was her son. Her son was her life. A widow... Now, in America, it's not that way. In the 20th and 21st century, it's not that way because all of you ladies can go out and make a living. But in much of the world, that's not the case, even today. And in this ancient world, if a woman did not have a son or she didn't have a husband or didn't have a family to take care of her, her life was in mortal danger. And so her life, this mother, apart from the love and devotion that a mother would feel for her, children, her actual livelihood is tied up in the life of her son. It was her future. It was her security. She had no life. And this is true in the ancient, it was true in the ancient Near East, and it's even true in much of the world today, that the life of the woman is tied up in her heir. And so she has a legitimate complaint. Have you come you, you come here to kill my son? And what's interesting is Elijah does not correct her. He doesn't correct her. She does appeal, however, while she knows she has no standing with God on her own, she appeals to the relationship that Elijah has. She said, O man of God, in verse 18, oh man of God, she recognizes this man does have a relationship with God. So what happens? Elijah doesn't correct her. He says to her, give me your son. Give me uh, your son. Basically, he says to her this, give me your life. Give me everything you are, everything you ever will be, all your security. Give me everything. Give me your son. And he takes that child. I don't know how old the child was, probably uh, in double digits, I imagine. But however old the child was, he took the child and he acts as a mediator. You see, Elijah understood that somebody had to have a right relationship and somebody had to ask the right questions. And Elijah doesn't correct the woman. He takes it upon himself to do that. And when God is inscrutable, the same thing is going to come to you. You're going to have to ask yourself, do I have the right relationship and am I ready Am I ready to ask the right questions? Is my, will my relationship with God 
will my relationship with God hold up under the question I'm going to ask? He says, give me your son and listen to what Elijah does. Let me tell you, if you, any of you, can get to this point, your Christianity will go on. It'll be like having a Christianity on steroids. It'll be like having Christianity on turbo. Or whatever. What, what's something they would use? For, sorry, I'm not the guy to ask. You're not the one. You're not <laughs> the guy to I don't know what the word, right words are. You, you, will have a, you will have a vibe. You'll have a relationship that is strong enough to bear the weight of the pain that is sure to come in your life. I don't want to sound like a downer and all that, but you're going, to, you're going to have disappointments and think, is God's going to be inscrutable? He's going to be mysterious. You're going to be going, what? Will your relationship hold up under the right question? Will it carry the weight? And here's how you know. Look, it's amazing. Give me your son, takes the kid, goes into the kid's bedroom, lays the kid down, and then he says this. This is why I love Elijah, my favorite prophet. I love this guy. We'd like to just spend all kinds of time with him uh, in the next life. Verse 20. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? I mean, this is a guy who's got some chutzpah. He goes in there and he tells God, what are you doing? I can't believe what you've done. This woman has shown me kind. You killing her child? Now that is a man. That's a man who knows God, who knows his relationship. He doesn't, he doesn't. In fact, you find Elijah throughout the Elijah and Elisha cycle. These two prophets are bold with God. They're questioning God. They know that their relationship will hold up under the hard question. And if, if I never see any of you again, I hope I do. I hope Ben asked me to come back. But if I never saw you again, the one thing I would want to tell you is to develop a relationship with your God, with your King, with your Lord Jesus Christ that will hold up under the hard questions even when things don't make sense. Because there's going to be a lot of those times. When they don't make sense, and you can go to him and you can say, what are you doing, God? I don't understand. I don't get it. Why are you doing this? What he's saying is, he's putting God to the test. He's saying, am I your prophet? Do I really belong to you? Am I yours? And are you mine? Are you really? And I'm challenging you to develop that kind of relationship to where you can honestly talk to God even during those hard times. He asks him the question, am I yours? Are you mine? And then he goes on and he said, if that's the case, if I'm your prophet and if you're my God, then my relationship with this woman my relationship with you has got to extend to this woman. And I'm going to, now, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to lay down on top of this child. I'm going to stretch myself out over this child. Uh, because if I'm your prophet and you're my God, 
then this child is going to come back to life, and my relationship with you has got to extend to her. You get it? That's what he's saying. And he's bold in doing it. So he stretches himself out, verse 21. Three times he cries out to the Lord. And basically what he's saying, uh, when he stretches out the symbolism, I can't go into all of it, but in that world, the symbolism of stretching yourself out on top of another and crying out to God was my life for them. My life covers them. My life for them. Bring them back or kill me. But it's life for life. He's here, I'm here. And I'm crying. If I'm yours and you're mine, then this has got to extend to them. And what happens? The child revives. And Elijah takes this little boy and goes down and he tells the woman, he says, Behold, look, see, your son lives. You see, inscrutability... This mystery does have an answer. It's not always the answer we want, but it does have an answer. And that answer is right there. See? Your son lives. And the woman, something changes with this woman. She says, now I know that you're a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and it is true. You see, Elijah is now the prophet who holds life and death. His relationship with God bore the weight of the hard question. Are you here to kill? No. I'm here to bring life. Real life. Life that can't be gotten any other way. So how do you react to inscrutability? That really defines your relationship. So here's how you're going to know. Do you, when, when God doesn't make sense in your life, and I know all of you probably have these times already, when he doesn't make sense, do you get angry? Do you get bitter? Do you, like Ben said, do you, when the relationship is not right, do you pull away, do you back away from him, or do you go in close, go, go in tight, go in and say, are you here to kill? Are you here to destroy? Are you here to wreck and ruin? Are you here to help me? Am I yours or am I not yours? And what I'm challenging you to do is not to pull back. That's the coward's way. What you see these guys do, Moses and Elijah and Elisha and all the rest of them, what you see them do is you see them draw in close. They get tighter, when it seems like God is not making sense, it seems like he's inscrutable, and he just doesn't make any sense, and, 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 and the, the, the temptation is to back away and pull away and get silent, they're going deeper and deeper and asking harder and harder questions of God, they're putting the relationship to the test, it's really great, and I'm challenging you to do that when God is Seems distant, you draw near. You go close. You ask some hard questions. Are you for me? Are you with me? Will you leave me? You know the answer to those, right? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you draw near to him? 
even when your heart is torn with doubt, I'm challenging you. Draw near. Will you trust like this woman did? Will you trust him with that which is most precious to you? Will you give it to him? She said, Elijah said, give me your son. And she did. It's amazing. Give me your son. And he did. So how can you do that? How can, what is the basis for trusting him? Well, I don't have a lot of time, so very quickly. Look. When, when our lives are a wreck, really when we're dead in our sin and trespass, God does the completely opposite of what you would expect Him to do. It's almost as if we're crying out to Him, give me an answer to my problem. Give me help. Save me. Give me your son. And you know what He does? He gives His son. He actually takes that which is most precious to Him and gives it to you and I. So that our questions of inscrutability always have a basis, they always have an answer. And the answer is in Jesus Christ. He gave His Son so that Jesus, like Elijah, could stretch Himself over our death and raise us up to new life. And on the cross... He says to you and me, each one of us, Behold, you can live. You have life because I live. His relationship with God can extend to each one of you and it will bear the weight of all your pain and all your doubt and all your sin and all the rest. It will bear the weight. Will you do that? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, um, I confess I'm, I'm, I spent a lot of my day filled with doubt and worry and fear. And uh, there's no point trying to hide it. It's just there. And uh, I ask, Father, that you would help each one of us, all of us. We all have those fears and doubts and terrors that grip our hearts with what what does the future hold? And it's going to become of me. Um, I do pray, Holy Father, that you would stretch out your life across ours as you have in your Son, Jesus, and raise us up to new life. And give all of us confidence, Father, to trust you, even in those hard times when we don't understand. And uh, strengthen us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.